Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we, where we make <laughs> headway. What do we do, Dad? What do we do? <laughs> I just we're... spent three days with 300 people in Atlanta. My brain is jelly. I'm telling you, man. I'm, Dad I'm... has, Dad spends three days literally talking, I think, eight hours a day. I mean, it's nuts what you do. I do. Did I tell you when I went to your workshop one time, um, the only time I've gotten to your workshop, the guy who was sitting next to me at some point, we like, I told him who I was, I was your daughter. And, uh, and he just looked at me, he goes, why does he do this? (laughs) And I was like, you know what? It's a good question. I said, it's just, he just loves it. And the guy goes, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'm going to stop doing it the moment that on a Monday morning, I feel like I really wish I wasn't going to have to do another one of these things ever. But I always end up Sunday afternoon after we're done, um, all of the different volunteer coaches come in and we have a big dinner and thank everybody for all their hard work and and um, kind of review what we experienced over those three days. And I'll tell you, every time, Sunday afternoon and evening, I am so jacked up and I love it so much. I just really dig it. I just really dig teaching this stuff because it's so profound. And every single one of the transformational investing workshops, I have multiple people come up and just like tears in their eyes. Thank you. We've changed our life. And man, I have Pam Ewell came up to me. She was an investor that took a very early class. 2010, I think, she started with $150,000 and turned it into 700 million, or sorry, 700,000. <laughs> I 700 was about million. to like freak out over <laughs> She the, did okay. really good. But she still, really good. that's a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She did really, really fantastic. And then she had a couple of bumps in the road and wanted to come back and just kind of, you know, see what she'd done wrong. And, and you know, she had a great class. It was great. I love it when, when people are just in learning mode the rest of their life. And Charlie Munger said that about Warren Buffett, actually. He said that if Warren Buffett wasn't such a learning machine, he wouldn't have had the results that he has over the last 50 years. You have to constantly keep tweaking and keep improving. Um, Yeah, Charlie said that when we went to the Daily Journal meeting as well, he a few different times made the comment that he just loved to learn about different stuff. And that the reason he's been so successful investing in so many different kinds of industries is that he's been able to just really do a deep dive into all these different industries. And he made the point a few times that not everyone can do that and not everyone has the time to focus on, let's say, 50 different industries. But (laughs) but Charlie's been able to. And he just sounded like he absolutely loved it. And it was such a great part of his life. I thought that was so cool. Me too. And he's so, I really like the guy. He's so honest and, and straightforward in what he thinks. So Danielle and I went up to him and said, hey, we're doing a book with Harper Collins, and uh, we just really want to thank you for everything you've taught us. And, and he went, well, good luck with that. Yeah, he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't have cared less. Couldn't have cared less. <laughs> so today, Dad, we... Um, We've actually got a question from a listener, which is awesome. Every now and then, we, um, I mean, we get great questions from you guys all the time, but um, 
but every now and then we just get one that's really timely. And, uh, and so keep, keep sending them. This one's from Jessica in San Diego. Thanks for sending in your question, Jessica. And it's, um, it's one that's really sparked some conversation between dad and I. So what your question was, everybody, Jessica's asking about Under Armour, the company Under Armour, which makes like sportswear. Um, I have a really good Under Armour shirt that I wear for snowboarding and, they make all kinds of other gear as well and often branded with sports logos and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they have had an interesting stock move recently, haven't they, Dad? <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Their stock has dropped like a brick over a series of, of problems and missteps uh, from Kevin Flank, who founded the company. Um, he was a fullback at a college and played – he was a captain of their special – uh, special teams and and um, always had problem with being too sweaty in his t-shirts. And he, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and he recognized that the that the the sort of um, spandex pants that the football players were wearing would be just as sweaty, but they'd dry right out. They wouldn't stay that way. Whereas his t-shirts, huh. you could wring them out. You Absolutely. Know? And so he said, "I'm just going to build t-shirts out of this thing," and it, it kind of was just a. Uh, you know, in the garage sort of a business uh, until um, Oliver Stone featured his stuff in um, on any on any given Sunday in that movie. What? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Does this just like urban legend or did you actually read this somewhere? No, I read this. It's, a, it's in the wiki page. It's really <laughs> cool. He, it got him started. And um, and he, that's too funny. I know he kind of grew it from there. And, and now, of course, the Under Armour is a, a really fantastic company. Um, UCLA just made a deal with them for two hundred and eighty million dollars for 15 years for supplying oh. uniforms. Wow. Um, Major League Baseball just awarded them the contract for all Major League Baseball uniforms. They took it away from the other company and they gave it to Under Armour starting in 2020. So these guys are really, you know, they're big time now. And but let's focus in on them a little bit. We've been yeah. doing a lot of episodes on general concepts and big ideas and Buffett and Munger and let's apply it to a company. Okay. So the first thing, let's let's just go down the basics, right? What are the first basics we look for when we're trying to figure out whether we want to buy this company? Well, the, the number one thing is that we want to look at each company as if it's going to be the only company we're going to own. So we just take it real seriously. Like you're going to really just buy a few of these in our entire lifetime. Again, Buffett says get a punch card. It's got 20 punches in it. And when you're and think of each punch like, wow, when I'm done with 20, I can't buy anymore. All right. So yeah. treat it really seriously. All right. In that view, then every time I hear that, my reaction is like, oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never like, yes, only 20. <laughs> I don't know. I gotta why. buy twenty. <laughs> no, I'm always like, I want to buy more than twenty. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I promise you, you will. But that's just a—it's a way of whole, kind of telling you how serious it is when you're buying one. All right. So then, the first thing—the first thing. What does Charlie say? What's the first thing? We gotta be capable of understanding the business. Right on. So we start with Under Armour and just say, "All right, can I figure out what it really amounts to a glorified T-shirt company?" Right, they make athletic apparel. Um, they may expand, but can I figure this company out? What do you think? Just off the top of your head, I think yes. I think I yes. I think I can figure it out. I think this is one 
most of us can figure out. We're familiar with the product. Right. We probably use it or something like it. Right. Uh, the industry is familiar to us. We are also probably familiar with its competitors right off the bat. Right. Uh, the part I would say I'd research a little bit more that I don't know anything about are the like licensing deals with the sports teams. Mm -hmm. But uh, but that would only take a little bit of research. So I would say yes. And my, my guess is they probably don't make a lot of money on those deals, right? They're very competitive deals. They, everybody wants to be the guys that provides Major League Baseball uniforms. Totally. Yeah, yes. they want their brand on those uniforms. Yeah. So it's not going to be a moneymaker. It's going to be a huge sales and marketing tool. Well, obviously, it's, yeah. And then it's meant to be a moneymaker exactly. through, that, through that market. Through that. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So we, we got past that hurdle. Uh, and of course, as we dig into the company, we are continuing to try to figure out if this one's too hard. If we first think we're capable of understanding, and then as we start our research, we look for, okay, is it too hard, too hard, too hard? Is it too hard or is it a no? And if we don't get to too hard or a no, then we just got to keep going. So what I would recommend if we're just looking at our first company here is you don't get distracted by a second company and a third company and a fourth company. Because what's going to happen is you start digging into UA and you realize, wow, they compete with Nike. Wow, I like Nike. I wear their stuff. Let's go start looking at Nike. And you wander mm. off into the weeds. You've got to mm. stay focused and, and disciplined to take this thing to the end conclusion that it either ends up on your watch list and you or you buy it, and uh, or it is too hard, or it's a no. Right? Mm. That's so, yeah, that's an interesting point because. I always do that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always does that. <laughs> because you start looking and, and I start going, oh, right. Nike's a competitor of theirs. Oh, like what's Nike up to? I haven't really <laughs> thought much about Nike lately. And then I'm like, oh, Adidas. What are they doing? Oh, Adidas owns all these different companies. This is yeah. nuts. Like, And it gets so interesting so quickly. Yep. I don't know, though. Is it really such a bad thing to go off and No, it's not a bad thing to go off with the competitors. Those are fine. You know, you're you're learning about the industry as you dig into Adidas and Nike. But when you wander the next generation out, right? It's sort of one level removed from that. Um, oh yeah, look at this t-shirt company. Gildan makes t-shirts for UCLA. Hey. Oh, I see. And like not direct boom. competitors. Exactly. You're out there in the sticks. Okay. Now, it doesn't hurt to just wander around a little bit, but always remember, don't start any major research until you've finished the major research you're into and just get to the conclusion. Otherwise, you'll end up with 100 companies you don't know. <laughs> and, and then if Got they it. go on sale, you don't know if they're on sale for sure. And you're, you stay in this state of uncertainty, and that's not a good place to be. So we, we got past capable of understanding. We're starting our research. Now, what are we looking for? If we were to summarize everything, what are we looking for to accomplish? So if you were to go on CNBC after buying Under Armour and they said, why did you buy Under Armour, Danielle? Could you oh, give them a, a, the five-second answer? Because I'll give you Buffett's five-second no, answer. No, I, I I could not give them a five-second answer. Okay, no. here is the classic Warren Buffett five-second answer. Why did you buy that company? Answer, because in 10 years, it'll be worth more than it is today. All right. Period. 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 
That is so huge. Ani, you have to get this. It is so huge that that's really where you have to land as a starting point, because that means this company is very likely a free lottery ticket. It's a, in other words, if I mean, you know you can buy this thing today and it's going to be worth more tomorrow, you, you're not going to have a downside. And the upside is, who knows, maybe it would be really, really good, right? Especially if you can I buy mean, it for I margin get it, of safety. Right? Yeah. Like everybody gets it. And the reason I was hemming and hawing is that it's, of course, that's the answer. Of course it is. Like, that's not interesting. The part that's interesting <laughs> is why. Okay. Okay. But it points to our fundamental structure Why did and you strategy. buy something? Well, you bought some, of course you bought something because you think it's going to, no, I bought it because I think it's going to go down. Like that's why I bought it. No, of course you bought it because you think it's, it's, that's like, sorry, that annoys me. Okay. Maybe All that's right. what Warren Buffett says, but he can get away with it because he's Warren Buffett. The rest of us cannot get away with an answer like that. But he's, he's not being condescending. He's not being uh, casual or, or in any way trying to downplay the importance of the question by having a casual off-the-cuff answer. It is not a casual off-the-cuff answer. The ability to say with a high degree of certainty that a company that you buy today is going to be worth more tomorrow in 10 years is right at the heart of all rule one investing decisions. Rule one, we named this thing rule one investing, this strategy, because the strategy is based on rule one, don't lose money. And rule yeah. two, which is don't forget rule one. And so totally. if, if, you, if you don't keep that foremost in mind as the number one thing you're focused on, you are going to start making errors. All right. So what, when Buffett gets asked that question, he's going to answer the question with the most important reason that he buys a company, which is not that I know it's going to be fantastic successful, but that it'll be worth more in 10 years than I paid for it today. He does that with real estate. He does that with farming. He does that with private companies. And Manesh Prabhai has gotten this so clear in his mind as a fund manager that he basically says, we're looking for a free lottery ticket. And that's what a free lottery ticket looks like. It doesn't have a real downside. It and doesn't have a downside. It, so, so maybe that's another way of answering that question. I chose this company out of the other 2,000 companies on the U.S. stock market because it doesn't have a downside. And because it doesn't have a downside, I think it's going to be worth more in 10 years. Yeah. I think that's a decent answer. I mean, you could also say, I bought it because I think it's kind of like a bond. And in fact, Warren calls these equity bonds. That is, they just like a bond, it doesn't have a downside, you're, you're, other than use of money, wherever else you were going to put it. So you buy the bond, 10 years later, you get your money back. You know you're going to get your money back because it's the US government, right? They're going to pay you your money back and you get the benefit of some sort of you know, interest rate over that 10-year period. So if he, Buffett just bought John Deere last year a little bit, and he was asked on CNBC, why don't you buy John Deere? And he says, because it's going to be worth more in 10 years. All right, think about that. It's a bond. You know you're going to get your money back in 10 years, and you have 
dividends coming in from the company, like a bond interest rate, and you have this potential upside that it could have that a bond doesn't have. And just in Warren's letter this last uh, few weeks ago for uh, that he came out with for 2016, he said, um, if, if we're going to go through a really bumpy ride in the economy, which I think he's sort of nudging us to be paying attention to, mm-hmm. if we're going to go through an economic storm, what you want to do is have a portfolio of really good large companies that really, really good companies, wonderful businesses, that would mean big moat businesses that have very low debt and they'll ride right through everything. So that's, that's the fundamental structure um, that you know that in 10 years, it's going to be worth more than it is today. So that's the first question I would ask for, for, for our, our questioner is how will you know that Under Armour is going to be worth more in 10 years than it would be today? Well, yeah, I mean, that's why we're looking at it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what else to say to this line of thought of like, is this a good company? Because obviously we want the stock price to go up in the next 10 years. Yes, that is correct. Good job, So Buffett. there's two pieces. There's There's two pieces to this though, right? First, there is the piece of, is it a wonderful business? And second is, can I buy a $10 bill for five bucks? So can exactly. I buy this wonderful business yeah. at a private company price? That's what I want to exactly. do. Exactly. So you're starting out with this this very broad sort of answer to an imaginary question, uh, which is, why did you buy this stock? Because I think it'll be worth more in 10 years. Okay, great. Like, nobody cares. The real question is, why? So I think we get to why with number two on Charlie's list of the four principles, because then you start getting into the why of that. It's the moat. It's what are what intrinsic competitive advantages does this company have that's going to protect it over the next 10 years? Exactly. And you get into, do we have a talented manager in Kevin Plank? Very important in this case, because he just restructured the stock of the company. So he owns 65% of it and nobody can vote him out. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be our guy. If you don't believe Kevin Plank is talented, this may not be the place for you, right? Yep. Absolutely. So Well, and the reason, let me just add that Jessica started her email by saying this stock has dropped 75% in the last year, which is nuts. Which is... But but it actually, it, I don't think it has dropped seventy five percent. I think she's no, it has. It has. Let me I just looked take it a up. look. Let me look. <laughs> I'm, I'm looked at it a lot. So so here's All what's right, interesting so, about this stock because we were just we we started looking at it before we started recording this. What's interesting is that the stock recently was split essentially, and they created. Uh, I think they just had one class before, and now there are three. So what they did is they have their A shares, their B shares, and their C shares. The B shares are owned, I believe, only by the CEO or maybe in a large majority by the CEO. The B shares are meant to make sure that he keeps voting power in his company. And they're not being publicly traded. The A shares and the C shares, just to get really confusing, are both being publicly traded. So now, if you Mm -hmm. look up this stock and the symbol is UA, those are the C shares. If you look up just plain old UA, those are the C shares. And the difference is that C shares have no voting rights at all. 
The old A shares, which are still the A shares, are now called UA.A, and those shares still have voting rights. However, everything else between the A and the C are the, are the same. It's just the voting rights that have changed or have been stripped, really, from the C shares. And they are trading at different prices. So that's why when Jessica said it had dropped 75% and then we discovered this stock, this stock split situation, it, it makes for a, a confusing determination of whether the stock, first of all, what, which one is the stock? And secondly, has it really dropped or has it been affected by this, uh, this split situation and the varied voting options that you get? Okay, so let's start with this. It has not dropped 75%. It's gone down, <laughs> split adjusted from $49 down to, to roughly 20 right now. All right, so it's come down a lot, but it's just Wait a little a over 50% down. $49 to $20? Mm -hmm. That sounds a lot like 75% to me. 60. 60. All right, we'll give you 60. <laughs> All right, so it's a long way, but not quite as far as you thought. <laughs> um, so the the this kind of stuff starts to look like um, maybe there's some big problem with the company's moat. Uh, but we always want to remember that price and value are two different things. The market sets price with a lot of emotion. Forget the idea that the stock market's pricing is rational. It's rational on a short-term basis in a sense that these fund managers who are setting the price of everything are going to be judged on short-term functionality and short-term success. So they're not interested in seeing what happens to Under Armour in a year. They're interested in seeing what happens to Under Armour this quarter. And if they think it's going down, they're going to get out and they're going to drive it down. Yeah. So always keep that in mind. It doesn't mean the long-term problem, problem issue with the company doesn't have a long-term issue. Maybe it doesn't. And by the way, we're just we're going to skip over moat and management right now and just move on to the fourth principle of figuring out the price because that's kind of the interesting part of this stock right now. Yeah? Yeah, so we can come back and look yeah, at Yeah, I think we later. have to if, um, we, if we find that it's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, basically, just as the short view of moat would be that you look at the the five major moats that a company has, and um, you have, you know, they don't have they they may have sort of some secrets, but you know, sort of like Lululemon might have some secrets. They don't last in that industry. Um, the, you don't have a big strong switching moat, right? I mean, you could go down and buy different different athletic gear anytime you want. There's no real toll bridge. There, lots of people make those kinds of things now um, that they started with. They aren't the low price guy, although they try to keep their prices competitive. So really, the only moat that there that they have is a brand yeah. moat that is based on sort of being first mover into that space. And it's not that good a moat. I mean, it's an okay moat. I mean, but when I go shopping, I don't really go shopping thinking Under Armour. On the other hand, if I see Under Armour gear, I know it's probably well. It's a brand gear. moat. That's it's a brand moat it. that's buttressed by its uh, what would you call it? A toll bridge by its exclusive deals with um, with major sports teams. Right. No, but toll bridge, honey, is is that you can't get to the other side of the river any other way. So if the river is wearing athletic gear that wicks away moisture. Do you have any other choices out there in the world besides Under Armour? Well, not if I'm a player on the NFL team that uses their stuff. 
Oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But that, that's not a toll bridge to the customer. That's just that, that's just that marketing stuff. So the toll bridges are really very specific about you want to cross this river. You want to go across from Sausalito over to San Francisco. Well, you can get on a ferry or you can go around the Mitchman Bridge and then come around the Oakland Bay Bridge. You can swim. You can take a boat. You can cross the Golden Gate for $5. So everybody's going to pay is, $5, right? That's what a I hear bridge. you saying is that exclusive deals don't translate into moats. Is that right? Well, they do if the exclusive deal is Southern companies has an exclusive deal to provide power for the entire Southeast. Yeah, that's that works. But the exclusive deal you're talking about is just Under Armour having a, an exclusive deal with Major yeah. League Baseball. You know, that's the itty bitty number of guys. That's like, you know, what is it? 300 guys, 400 guys. There's nothing in their market. It's meaningless except for a marketing tool. Okay. It's not meaningless. Uh, I mean, that doesn't mean it's meaningless. I mean, it's a huge marketing feat to have Major League Baseball players decide that your gear is what they want to wear. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I guess deal. that's how I'm thinking about it. But so it, it doesn't. It doesn't. That quite burnishes apply. the moat. So it burnishes the brand, but it doesn't create any other kind of moat. Right. Exactly. So moving on from that. Um, and skipping over Kevin Plank's skill set, which, you know, is pretty evident. He's done a great job so far. Um, what, what, we can take a kind of what I would consider to be like a quick and dirty journey into looking at what the value of this business might be. So how would you do it? I mean, let's, let's say, for example, that you read that they're no longer able to grow at 20%. He's not projecting that for the time being. They've been growing at that rate for a long, long time. And the CEO is saying, I'm a 12% grower now. Okay. So I would use that. He's going to tell me 12%, quick and dirty. Haven't done a lot of research on this. Let's just put in what the CEO said. Okay. 12%. Okay, cool. There's our growth rate. And what are we going to start with for earnings per share? Trailing 12 months. We look it up. I just checked it right now. Okay. 44 cents. All right. Now, what I want to do is I want to see, before I run a formula on this, I want to see, is that $0.44 representative of the issues going on with the company, or is it way out of line? Is it really high? Is it really low? Where is it so that I don't start off from a bad starting point to create this margin of safety analysis? So I want to read a little bit about what's going on with this company. So I pop over to SeekingAlpha.com put in UA, and start scanning the articles, maybe 10, 15 minutes of reading, okay? Just to get an idea of what are the issues out there. Because, man, this thing has some major league price drops um, in the last few months. And so what I found out real quickly was that um, they abandoned their, they set a target of 800 um, whatever's billions, I guess, in sales, 800 million in sales, whatever they're their scale is by the year 2018 and they just the ceo plank just said i'm abandoning this now i'm not doing this and also over the christmas season they dropped their uh growth rate from 25 percent or down to about 12 percent. so everything is shrunk down for these guys very very mm-hmm. suddenly and suddenly the stock just fell off the table as a result 
Um, so with that little bit of information, let's use a 12% growth rate. That gives us, we're going to double that to get a 24 PE. Um, hoping to sell this someday and when it's a good bull market. And now I'm going to run the analysis on that on our tool set. And what comes out is, uh, let me find it here. So that's a 24 price to so, earnings ratio, price to earnings ratio of 24. Right. And then right. what dad's doing so is go, he's going to rule1investing.com and using his tool set that you have to sign in for right. and uh, presto changeo, he gets the numbers that he's looking for. <laughs> Maybe that's numbers. just so how I The selling imagined. for $19 right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that is exactly right. Presto changeo, what's coming out is a sticker price, um, uh, uh, what I would call intrinsic value of eight bucks. Okay. For a company selling right now for okay. almost 20. All right, number one. Number two, big, big thing, is that the tool set discovers that the free cash flow of the company, which is hugely important about whether I'd want to own it, I want to own free cash flow companies, right? I'm the owner. I want money in my pocket down the road, just like you would in a private company. That's what Buffett's looking for and Munger. This company has negative free cash flow over the last decade. And particularly last year. In other words, they spend more money building stuff, capital expenditures, than they do in terms of operating earnings. Okay, so let's go rocking on to uh, to look at this thing from a couple of points of view. Number one, it's really expensive compared to a reasonable assessment of the future. You'd have to be more optimistic hmm. than the CEO right now. And number two, it doesn't have any free cash flow, which means the payback time is infinite. So two really not great things right there. No wonder the price is dropping like a brick. And then the question is, will this be worth more down the road? Uh, not necessarily. You buy this thing for $19 right now, it could very well be worth $15, $20, maybe more in, uh, in, t in 10 years. Who knows? They're struggling. So the answer I would come up with just off the cuff is not. Nah. Let's let's yeah, find better. Let's companies find better companies. Maybe we'll do another one next time and compare our analysis between the two. So okay, we're gonna bail, and now you guys, you might want to take a look at Under Armour and get some information behind it. We'll, we'll we'll we may come back in and look at this one a little more detail next time. But in general, let's summarize real quickly. We're looking at free cash flow, very very important for companies we want. This one doesn't have any. This company, based on its CEO's expectations, is massively overpriced right now. It's been dropping like a brick. I wouldn't want to try to catch it. Uh, I don't know where the bottom is. And likely, it's a great company. Likely, it'll be worth more in 10 years. But we're certainly not buying it on sale today. We're not going to get a $10 bill for 5 bucks. And if we can't get that, I'm not that interested. With that, I am saying, Thanks, everybody. See Bye. You. Time to go play. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only. 
and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.